This morning, as you're turning to, to Matthew chapter 11, I'll ask you what I ask the children. Um, is it hard to wait for something? I mean, we see pictures moments ago of a family waiting and watching. What about the case when what we wait for doesn't line up with what we expect? Um, those, are, those are challenging questions, and, and this morning we're going to see some in our text there in Matthew chapter 11. There in verse 1. When, when Jesus had finished giving instructions to His twelve disciples, He departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. Now when John, that's John the Baptist, while he's imprisoned, heard of the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, said to Jesus, Are you the expected one? Or shall we look for something else? Someone else. And Jesus answered and said to them, Go and... Report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who does not take offense at me. If you were with us in the last few weeks, Jesus, you know, he has spared no no hard words, telling the disciples and, and telling all of us who would follow after them about the hard and the dangerous road that would be before. That would, if, if we trust Christ, we need to anticipate and to expect heartache and heartbreak and betrayal and all sorts of challenges. And, and, and Jesus has shared this and, and He's shared sober words, but He's shared encouraging words. And now he's moving on to teach and, and to preach in, in cities there in the region. And while all this is going on, John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, whom we first met in chapter 3, you know, he is in prison. And, and we first met John several weeks ago, and he's preaching in the wilderness. If you remember the story, Luke chapter 3 says that, that the Word of God came to, to John in the wilderness, and then, then John comes into the district around the Jordan, and he's preaching this baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And in Matthew chapter 3, verse 5, we read that Jerusalem is going out to John and all Judea and all the district around the Jordan. Everybody's coming out to hear John. And then in chapter 3, verse 13, Jesus shows up arriving from Galilee at the Jordan, at the Jordan coming to John to be baptized by John. And then there's that famous exchange between the two men John tries to prevent Jesus, saying, you know, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me? And Jesus answers John and says, Permit it at this time, for in this way it's fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And so John permits Jesus, which is interesting. Uh, Jesus is baptized, and then Jesus comes immediately from the water, and the, and the text tells us in chapter 3 that the, immediately the heavens were opened and, and John saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on Jesus. And 
and then a powerful word throughout the New Testament, really throughout the whole Bible, behold. <laughs> behold, a voice out of the heavens says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So John, what's he just seen? He's seen a manifestation of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Woo! That's exciting. A bit terrifying, would you? I mean, what if you were there and you saw all this? All right. In chapter 4, we read that Jesus goes to Galilee when he hears that John has been taken into custody. What happened to John? I mean, he's the successful preacher, right? He's witnessed the, tra- the uh, manifestation of the Trinity, and now he's in jail. What happened? Well, well, it, it says this in Mark chapter 6, that Herod, he's a, a ruler, a tetrarch there in Galilee, he's had John arrested, and he's in prison because of his sister-in-law. Now, his sister-in-law was named Herodias. She's married to Herod's brother Philip. Well, was, but now Herod is married to her. See, Herod has married his sister-in-law, and you see the problem. <laughs> um, John told Herod, said, you know, he, Herod liked it to hear John, but John said, okay, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife, and so Herodias has this grudge against John, and wants really to put him to death. So John's in prison. And so in chapter 11 this morning, Jesus, in verse 1, he's going to teach and preach. Look at verse 2. When John, while imprisoned, heard of the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples. You know, John had his followers as well. And we've not said much about John's disciples, um, but a couple of weeks ago, if you remember, they asked Jesus about why Jesus and his disciples don't fast. That's John's disciples. John's disciples, they ask this question. And so they come with this message to Jesus and they say, are you the expected one or or shall we look for someone else? So why is John asking these questions? Well, you know, they're cousins and I got a question. Is anybody in this room related to anybody else? Do we have any cousins here? Okay, I see some hands. All right, I see some nods. I feel like I'm in an auction. All right, here's the thing. Sometimes cousins like to ag one another on. That's what we say down where I'm from. They like to chide one another. They like to kind of get a little stuff started. I, I don't think this is necessarily the case because we don't know, we don't know that Jesus and John the Baptist really had any play dates when they were young. We don't know that. The text doesn't tell us that they really even knew one another. But they are related, and so it could be a chiding by a cousin. But this question, are you the expected one? That's a question. Uh, What does John mean by expected? Well, the Law and the Prophets, the the Old Testament, that's what we, we call the Old Testament, the Law and the Prophets, they give testimony to this one who is expected. As I told the children this morning about the Messiah, the one who's coming, the Savior, There's tons of places throughout the Old Testament that point to Jesus as the expected one. Well, there's too many this morning to cover in depth, but but there's one that we we, we hear a lot at Christmas time, and and it's Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Um, When we read, this is a prophecy of Isaiah, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. 
And here's this word, Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means God with us. God with us. God sent to dwell with us as God dwelt with his people at Mount Sinai. It all connects together. What has John been expecting? We meet John the Baptist in chapter 3. He's been preaching this baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sins. People are coming forward. He's, he's preaching. They're confessing their sins. He baptizes them. And John says that the Messiah is coming to baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Woo! And in addition, John is saying this about the one, capital, capital O, the one who is coming, the Messiah, his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor. He will separate the wheat from the chaff, and, and he will gather his wheat into the barn, and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. John is preaching hellfire and damnation. Jesus, at this point of his life and ministry, he hasn't baptized anyone with the Holy Spirit. He hasn't baptized with fire. Jesus hasn't, he hasn't taken a winnowing fork and, and started what sounds like a, a violent separation process between the wheat and the chaff. And Jesus hasn't burned anything up at this point. <laughs> this really isn't what John had expected. John... I'm guessing, had a different picture in mind. Um, John maybe had a different timeline in mind. You know, John had some pretty hard words to say against the religious leaders back there in chapter 3. You know, he called them a brood of vipers. Well, Jesus has interacted with them, but in a different way. It, it's been less volatile than what John had in mind. And... John baptizes Jesus in the Jordan River. John sees the Holy Spirit descend. And John hears the voice of God speak at Jesus' baptism. But thus far, Jesus hasn't followed through with all of John's expectations. Jesus hangs out with sinners, eats with sinners. Jesus doesn't fast. We can relate to that, can't we? That things don't always line up like we think they ought to. We have these great ideas and these plans and these God-sized plans and then they take a different route. Sometimes we have our expectations disappointed because they don't look like what we think they ought to look like. We've probably all begun sentences with the phrase, but God, this is not what I thought it should look like. And maybe that's where John is. Shall we look for someone else? Well, this is what Jesus says there in verse 5. He, he says this to John's disciples. He says, The blind receive sight, 
the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised up. The poor have the gospel preached to them. And you know, Jesus, even when he's sharing this to John's disciples, he's he's giving evidence of prophetic fulfillment that we see in Isaiah chapter 35. This this verse here. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened. The ears of the deaf will be unstopped. The lame will leap like a deer. And the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. So Jesus is just giving evidence to what Isaiah wrote. And this is what he's doing. And, And then Jesus says this. Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Jesus is saying, blessed is he who trusts me. Jesus doesn't argue with John's disciples. Jesus is gracious. He simply responds with evidence. It's like that old phrase, the proof's in the pudding. So a couple challenging questions that that I would ask John's disciples, why are they still following John? Why are they not following Jesus? We don't know. But then John, he gets a tribute given to him by Jesus. When John's disciples leave there in verse 7, Jesus reminds the crowds about John and his ministry. He gives a a tribute to John. And and then Jesus asks three questions. He he said, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? This is verse 7. A reed shaken by the wind? No! But what did you go out to see? A, A man dressed in soft clothing? No! But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and one who is more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is written. And when you see that in Scripture, you know there's something to it. John and his ministry, you know, they are foretold by the prophet Isaiah as well. In Isaiah 40, um, we read these famous words, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Jesus says in verse 11, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. In chapter 3, we saw some of this greater and less than language. Do you remember when when John says in chapter 3, As for me, I baptize you with the water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. See, John esteems himself as one who is not fit to remove sandals. He is not fit to to take off footwear which would have been worn and walked through dust and dirt and sanitation-free areas of first century Galilee. John doesn't see him fit enough to, to even handle those dirty, nasty, filthy sandals upon the ones that would be upon the Savior's feet. 
John sees himself as a less than. But Jesus describes John differently in verse 11. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. One born of woman. Jesus is saying that John the Baptist, get this, is greater than Moses, Elijah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, King David. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom, Jesus says, is greater than he. See, here's something we forget. John and all these Old Testament prophets, and these prophets and these kings, they, they pointed to a coming Messiah, but they were not able to see the big picture. Hence, John's challenge. John's challenging questions. You know, these guys, they don't have the benefit of seeing Jesus as we do. They don't get to see Jesus on this side of the cross. The salvation side of the cross. Who has the benefit of seeing Jesus on the salvation side of the cross? We do. You do. You do. I do. Wow. Jesus says this in verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and violent men take it by force. Well, what did did Jesus tell the disciples last chapter? I mean, hard times are going to come, folks. They hate me. They call me Satan. And and all of you who, who are going to follow me are going to catch all that and more. More violence. For my sake. In verse 13, Jesus says, All the prophets and the law prophesied until John. Well, the law and the prophets, again, Old Testament, these teachers and preachers, they prophesied the Messiah. And, and, and see, John's a little different. John is the one set aside, the one crying in the wilderness, that we just looked at in Isaiah 40. John's also the one whom had the privilege to baptize the Messiah way back in chapter 3. We just talked about the baptism of Jesus. I want you to see something else. Jesus rises from the water. The heavens open. The Holy Spirit of God descends upon the Son. The Father speaks His pleasure in the obedience of, of, of His beloved Son. And John, witnessing this manifestation of the Trinity, he understands his place and his role in the drama of redemption of mankind. And as a result, his humility and his obedience allow him to witness this manifestation of the Trinity. That's a kingdom encounter. And this baptism is a form of coronation of the coming king. This kingdom of heaven is no longer at hand. The kingdom of heaven is here. And the kingdom of heaven is now here in John. Unlike all these prophets who came before, he has physically, in the moment, helped to usher in the kingdom. Verse 14. Jesus says, If you are willing to accept it, John himself is Elijah who was to come. He who has ears... To hear, let him hear. Well, that is confusing to me as all get out. 
How can John be Elijah? Well, as I told someone this week, it's okay to ask questions of the Bible. You have to play detective. The book of 2 Kings, there's, there's an account of this wicked king of Israel, and his name is Ahaziah. It's hard for me to say that name. But he's wicked. He's had an accident, and rather than praying to the Lord, he sends messengers to inquire of this pagan deity known as Beelzebub. And, and he's asking Beelzebub about his recovery. And on their way to this pagan altar, these messengers, they encounter this strange-looking individual who delivers a prophecy against this wicked king. And the messengers, they return with this message to the king, and they say this, A man came to meet us, and he said to us, Go back to the king who sent you, and tell him, This is what the Lord says. Is it because there's no God in Israel that you are sending messengers to consult Beelzebub? Therefore, you will not leave the bed you are lying on. You will certainly die. Well, the king, understandably a little frightened by this, he asked these messengers, what kind of man was it who came to meet you and told you this? Well, this is what they tell the king. They, they say, well, he had a garment of hair and had on a leather belt around his waist. Well, the king says, well, that was Elijah the Tishbite. So Elijah, this mighty man of God, is identified by this message of judgment and his wardrobe. Well, Matthew chapter 3 says something about John. It says, Now John himself had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. John the Baptist himself is Elijah who was to come. They weren't the same man, but what happens, what Elijah started, John continued. And if Elijah's ministry, and this is a challenging question for you, if Elijah's ministry is fully realized in John the Baptist, what does this say about the kingdom of heaven being fully realized in Jesus? That's Jesus' whole point. He is giving evidence after evidence after evidence, point after point after point, of proof where he shows up in Scripture and he establishes John's identity. What does this say about the kingdom of heaven being fully realized in Jesus? Look at verse 15. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Then Jesus says this. What, what shall I compare this generation Verse 16. It's like children sitting in the marketplaces who call out to the other children and say, we played the flute for you and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking and they say, he's got a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking and they say, behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners... Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. Children 
often can't be satisfied, can they? It's what I call the Goldilocks problem. Do y'all remember Goldilocks? Yeah. This porridge is too hot. This porridge is too cold. This bed is too hard. This bed is too soft. The Goldilocks conundrum. Too hot, too cold, too wet, too dry, too hard, too soft. And like children, the crowd and the critics, you know, they can't be satisfied either. And, and the scenario doesn't matter whether it be John, whether it's Jesus, whether there's fasting and no eating, or there's just indulgence to the crowd and to the critics, it's never right. It's never appropriate. And it's interesting that Jesus uses imagery of the marketplace. He uses imagery of the marketplace and children and wisdom. And that very last verse in 19 Jesus refers to wisdom, how? As a sheave. Well, what he's doing, Jesus is pointing back to words of his forefather Solomon, found in the first chapter of the book of Proverbs. And this is what, this is what Solomon says in Proverbs chapter 1. Wisdom shouts in the streets. She lifts her voice in the square marketplace. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the gates of the city, she utters her sayings. How long, O naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? How long? But he who listens to me shall live securely and will be at ease from the dread of evil. Wisdom, Jesus says, vindicated by her deeds. Wisdom, what's that? That's wise words. Vindicated by. What's that? That's proven by. Deeds. Actions. Words proven by actions. And if words are proven by actions, you need to listen to those words. Jesus' words... are proven by His actions. Listen to Jesus. This morning, we've looked at challenging questions. Like John and his disciples, we we all deal with unmet expectations. We all deal with disappointments, don't we? Things don't always play out like we think they should, do they? And even when we waffle around, we vacillate around like like children playing in the marketplace, ignoring the obvious... obvious truth of the word because we refuse to be satisfied in our confusion. We refuse to trust the truth of what God says. And and here's the thing. Like, Like he did with John's disciples, 
the Lord Jesus meets us where we are. Lovingly. Graciously. And just as He did with John's disciples and the crowd, Jesus shows us in His Word, in the truth of His Word, in the fulfillment of His Word, how He works things out for our good. He proves His Word by His actions. He works things out. He works things out, you know, He always has and He always will. But it might just not look like we think that it should. He proved His final word by His action on the cross. And and Jesus said, Blessed is he who is not offended by me. Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Blessed is he who trusts me. Amen. And you know, if we can trust Him with our eternity, our tomorrow, we can trust Him for our today. So, challenging question that I have for you. Can you trust Jesus?